on this week's 51%. Would the story change if told by women? Eve's the only protagonist in the Bible who is blamed and punished for having her own voice and her own curiosity. We spend time with best-selling author Elizabeth Lesser. Then we travel to meet an extreme cowboy, as it's called, though she's a woman. I'm Allison Dunn, and this is 51%. She made a serpent that afternoon. He smiled at her and she broke the rule. Come on, we're leaving. No time to waste. The Garden of Eden to no longer see. Dr. Sharon Upper returns with her 51% segment, Force of Nature. This time, she interviews Elizabeth Lesser, co-founder of the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies in Rhinebeck, New York, and best-selling author. Her latest book is Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, The Human Story Changes. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So let's just jump right in. You know, this new book, Cassandra Speaks, is very different from your other two books. So why did you decide to write this book at this time? Um, yeah, my other books, I actually have three other books. Um, as you note, they're different. They're not uh, a book about women. They're books about all of us humans. Um, but I had been spending for about 20 years a lot of time curating conferences at Omega Institute about women. Um, The first one I did, I I often curate conferences asking myself a question like, what's making people uncomfortable in the culture? Because often things that make people uncomfortable, it's a tip-off to what's coming down the line, the big changes that are happening. And I noticed in myself and in my women friends and, and in the news When you put the words women and power together, there is just this general sense of discomfort. felt it in myself, like, ooh, women shouldn't want to be powerful. But things were happening around that time that I curated that first conference. You know, we had just finished the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings, Um, art and music. A lot of women were coming up. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to put one conference together. I actually invited Anita Hill, and she came, and Eve Ensler, who wrote the Vagina Monologues, and and lots of other women. And hundreds of people signed up. And then I thought, I'll do it again the next year. And I still, we still at Omega Institute have these women and power conferences that explores not just how do women become more powerful in their own personal lives, but in the world? But is there a way that women do power differently? Can we do power differently? Because it certainly appears, and we see it now more than ever, that this needs to happen. So that's, that. the book came out of the keynote addresses that I have given at those conferences every year. And um, I started off, just going back into them and going back into history about this idea of when women tell the stories about what it means to be human, how does the human story change? So let's talk a little bit more about the book, Cassandra Speaks. You open the book 
with a series of stories. And the first part of the book is called Origin Stories, and it explores some of those original stories like Adam and Eve. Can you share a little bit about why you chose these particular stories, what they mean to you in terms of this issue of this discussion about women in power? Well, I've always um, loved storytelling. That's how humans learn. We learn through myths and parables. And, you know, I often think about the first humans sitting around a fire with their limited language telling stories about, like, whoa, who are we? What are we doing here? What happens when we die? The 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 making sense of our world as humans through storytelling. And if you haven't noticed, most of the stories that we use to describe what it means to be human were told by men. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except that it's only half of the storytellers. And women, through both nature and nurture, have had different experiences. And those stories don't end up affecting what I what we call the hero's journey, what it means to be a brave and heroic human. So I decided I was just going to look back into the prevailing origin stories and mythology that have formed Western culture. I did a lot of looking into other cultures as well, but since I'm a Westerner, the stories that still stick to me are from Western culture. And so... um, Adam and Eve, of course, is our first real story. That's that's the original couple. And that story, um, unless you're a, a biblical literalist, that story was told by men and then rewritten and rewritten, reinterpreted. It's a story about God the Father and man being just totally fine in the garden. And then God creates woman. She's born second, yet first to sin. And that story really still affects us, whether you read the Bible or consider yourself a religious person or not. This idea that women were born second, so they're not as valuable. They were an afterthought. But they were the first to sin. And if you look at Eve's sin, she was curious. She wanted agency. She wanted to be wise. The snake told her that if you eat that fruit, you will become wise. She wanted that. In fact, all the protagonists in the Bible, the male protagonists, that's their storyline. They want to become wise. They want to lead. They have to go through all these tests. They often leave home. They're often exiled. And whether that's Moses or Job or... Jesus, this is the hero's journey. Eve's the only protagonist in the Bible who is blamed and punished for having her own voice and her own curiosity. We could talk about this Adam and Eve story, I think, for the entire interview, but that's <laughs> <laughs> really, you can unpack a lot with that. But I want to go on to the part of the book where you take the foundational stories and then you you know you begin to talk about women in power and mm. you write you know it's about redefining what it means to be courageous daring and strong mm-hmm. it's about taking backwards and making them our own it's about doing power differently 
What do you mean by that doing power differently? What does that look like to you? Well, one of the stories I also unpack in the book, it's a story from science, which I I think science is our new guiding mythology. One of them is that idea that um, that research that was done back in the 1920s, that when humans are under stress, they either, uh, it's either fight or flight, you know, that idea, and we've all taken it as gospel. Oh, yeah, when, when we're under stress, we either fight or flee. Well, in 2007, a woman at UCLA, a research scientist, decided, hmm, I'm going to look at that research, and it turned out it was all done on men because in the 30s and 40s you didn't do research on women. And she brought women into her lab and did the same tests and came up with this phrase that when women are under stress and duress, they tend and befriend. Now, of course, some women fight or, f- fight or flee, and some men tend and befriend. But as a rule, that was the hormones and the chemicals that were released weren't fight or flight hormones and chemicals. They're tend and befriend. And you can argue oh, that's because we've had to tend and befriend in the roles we've been put into. I'm not really that concerned anymore about why. I look around the world. I look at leaders in the COVID time, let's say, like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand and Angela Merkel and the leader of Finland and Taiwan. These are the countries that have had the very best outcomes of of infection and death due to COVID. They're all women, and they are using this tend and befriend aspect of their humanness. They are... Uh, tending to the least vulnerable. They're creating a sense of community. Of, of They're trying to help their populace befriend each other and not be adversaries. And business has shown this over the, year that, the years that women in leadership, not all, but most, if listening deeply to who they really are, will lead in a different way. They will do power differently. They will include more. They will ask people's opinions more. They will ask for help when they need it. They will create a sense of belonging. They will be the caretakers that I believe the world needs now, more so than the lone wolf hero dudes that have been leading things up until now. That's such a good example. It's so timely, too, and makes me so proud to be a woman and see what those women leaders have done. In the book, you quote Toni Morrison, and I was really fascinated by this, and I want to ask you about this. You quote her as saying, as you enter positions of trust and power, dream a little before you think. And then you go on to say, you know, when you hear Tony's voice saying that and you hear her telling you yourself to respect your own dreams and to trust your instincts before self-doubt and overthinking hijacks your vision, I just thought that was so fascinating. And I'm wondering if you included that in the book because you felt perhaps this is a universal issue for women, that we hijack our own visions and, you know, Mm-hmm. And it's more typical to men. What What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a universal issue for all people. I think, you know, when Toni Morrison says, um, dream 
a little before you think. What she's saying is, in your heart, in your emotional intelligence, in your dream world, there is a rich reservoir of wisdom that our minds often hijack. And we don't get to really be who we are, trust who we are, validate who we are. I think men suffer from this as much as women. There's been one way to be a hero. There's been one way to lead. You know, poor boys, they are told not to respect their feelings and their inner lives. They're told to man up. They cut off a lot of who they really are, the fullness of their humanity, their quote-unquote feminine side and masculine side. And, you know, women, I feel we have somewhat of an advantage right now because when we're little girls and we're told you're acting like a tomboy or you can do anything boys can do, that fills us with a sense of wanting to, to round out who we are. Can you imagine if a boy were told, you can do anything a girl can do? That's, that's just something we never say to our boys. You can do what girls do too, because what girls have stereotypically been allowed to do, to, to be the caretakers, to raise the children, to take care of the older people, to be empathetic, to listen, to talk, all of these fantastic human qualities that everyone has but have been stripped from men and from women who want to pursue power or agency, I'm inviting everyone, men, women, everyone, to dream a little, to go into that that well of emotional wisdom, feelings, love, empathy, and to validate that part of ourselves and to bring it out of just the kindergarten room or being a mother or being a nurse and leading from that voice and that strength, like to give musculature to care, to the, to nurturing. Well, I think it kind of leads into the last part of your book then, which is really where you offer ideas and practices to help spark one's own dream. And to me, it was a surprising addition that you add these very specific suggestions to the book. Would you want to share one of them or two of them with the listeners? Yeah, I mean, at the start, you 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 noted that my book, this book, was different, and I practically couldn't help myself because I've written my other books have been more of of the self help nature, and I just it's just a genre that I deeply appreciate. Uh, actually, giving people some tools to mine their inner worlds and and unlock what what they have repressed and suppressed. So, like for example, I teach a meditation that I call the do no harm but take no <laughs> meditation. <laughs> and it's a way of strengthening your backbone and taking no, <laughs> you know, like knowing who you are, having a strong sense of of values, validity, uh self-respect but at the same time, that idea of doing no harm, I, I took this from some Buddhist iconography of, of the Buddha standing there with one palm open, which is the gesture of, of compassion and care, and one hand in the stop sign. You can see these statues everywhere now. They're kind of like 
popular garden statues, and his hand is out in a in a stop sign, and that's the the uh, take no. And the thing is, we can be both of those things at the same time. We can be strong and knowing who we are and having a voice and also being fantastic listeners and caretakers and lovers of of the human soul. So this is a meditation. I go into it at length in the third part of the book uh, that's really useful, even just making those hand gestures now for me. Uh, when I go into a meeting and I'm like being either too aggressive or too wimpy, I, I'll just make those gestures under the table so nobody can see what I'm doing. Strong back and an open heart, they remind me that I can be both. I love that. Um, thank you so much. That was Elizabeth Lesser. Her book is Cassandra Speaks. And this is Dr. Sharon Uffberg on Force of Nature for 51%. Again, that was a conversation with Elizabeth Lesser, whose latest book is Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes. Her other books are Marrow, Love Loss and What Matters Most, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, and The Seeker's Guide, Making Your Life a Spiritual Adventure. Dr. Sharon Uffberg is co-founder of the personal development wellness company Borrowed Wisdom in California. Recently, millions of women gathered in the streets of Argentina celebrating the legalization of abortion in the country. After 12 hours of debate, members of Argentina's Senate cast a vote in favor of the bill introduced by President Alberto Fernandez to legalize abortion. The bill was voted into law with 38 votes in favor, 29 against, and one abstention. Armchair traveling seems the safe thing to do during a pandemic, so let's do it. Let's go abroad to meet a woman who's been at the top of her sport, trying to defend her title as Israel's extreme cowboy, or cowgirl, or cowperson. This is Israel's Story, a show that shines a spotlight on the little and big dramas that comprise Israeli life. I'm your host, Mishi Harmon. Five in the morning, the Moazin is already singing. I'm waiting for Clara and Michael to go up north. Oh, here they are. Hey guys, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Good, it's Anyone early. <laughs> Very early. Did you bring your coffee? Brought enough for everyone. <laughs> On one of the very first days after the second lockdown ended, I drove up north with Clara Fug and Michael Vivier, our production interns. Our destination was Vered de Galil, a small farm perched on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. On the way, we covered some very crucial topics. Wait, so you can watch Borat 2 from Israel? I thought it wasn't available here. I used a VPN. I think it's available on Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon Prime exclusive, I think. But can you get that here? Yeah, I have an account. Three hours later, we arrived. Okay, so here we are. Um, Michael, do you wanna do you wanna call Danielle? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Vered Galil was established in 1961 by Yona and Yuda Avni. It was meant to be a kind of local version of a dude ranch where cowboys and cowgirls would go horseback riding and pretend they were in Montana. She's not answering, so uh, she might be out riding. Okay, so should we go find the uh, find the stables? Yeah. 
Yeah, let's go up there. Today it has lovely lodgings, a famous meat restaurant, and of course a large horse riding center. We were there to meet up with Daniel, the head trainer. And fittingly, we found her in the arena, galloping on her gorgeous black mare, Shadow. Hi, my name is Danielle Decknit. I'm 27 years old. I'm the main trainer in Verda Galil stable. Oded, Danielle's boyfriend, was standing off to the side holding up his phone. Yeah, my name is Oded Locker. I'm from Israel, of course, from Kibbutz Gevim, originally. What is your role here now? I'm just doing what Danielle says. <laughs> yeah, I think I said it right. Okay. Okay. So you're up, you need to film now. Yeah, right now I'm going to film the... Okay. So can we stand next to you when you film? Yeah, sure, no problem. And why, you might ask, was Oded filming Danielle as she and Shadow completed a crazily intricate obstacle course which included jumping and balancing and turning sideways and walking backwards and all kinds of other maneuvers? Well... So in Israel we have a virtual competition now because we cannot everybody come with their horses and their people to one place because of the corona. So we do virtual show. Each rider films him or herself completing the exact same obstacle course, but in different arenas and stables and farms around the country. Then they all submit their home videos to a judge, who determines the winner. That morning, Oded was shooting Daniel's submission for the 2020 Israel Championship. And you were just filming on your iPhone, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some people can have like a better uh, uh, cameras. So is there a lot of pressure to film this correctly? Are you afraid that Daniel would yell at you if you uh, exactly. if you screw it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you should uh, know how sad it is if you have the perfect one. And then I was like, I'm so sorry, my finger was on the camera. <laughs> Honestly, Oded is smart to be afraid. You see, the sport is called Extreme Cowboy, and Danielle reigns supreme. The last three years, she got an Israeli champion. Um, What's really special about uh, Danielle in this sport, that she just started it four years ago as a a non-pro rider, like for a hobby, and uh, she got really good in it, so she wanted to take it, like, level up and get more professional. Last year, she even flew to Texas, to the World Championship. I was compete in the World Show, in the International, that it's against all people from the other world. Brittany, Australian, France, Belgia, everybody come to there. Danielle finished third. And Danielle, I see that you've really embraced the cowgirl uh, look. Uh, <laughs> What like what what are you wearing exactly? Uh, I have boots with spurs and jeans. I have button-down shirt. I have a, a belt. A belt with a buckle that I uh, win in the EXCA Shavuot show in Israel and hat. <laughs> Danielle wouldn't say so, but she's definitely eyeing another championship buckle. Do you think that you're uh, going to win this year's uh, extreme competition? I hope, but we cannot uh, know. Oded was a bit more bullish. <laughs> I'm not the right person to ask, because if you ask me, she's always going to win. But they both know her chances are pretty good. After all, Danielle has a secret advantage. 
Shadow. This is Shadow. She's so uh, soft, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we did her uh, shampoo and conditioner uh, once a week. Uh, and she eats good. And uh, I brush her every day and shower every day. So she's very good health. The horses get corona, by the way? No. No? There. Okay. <laughs> she's an Israeli horse? She was yes. born here? Yeah, she's born here. She's like uh, the really Israeli horse. <laughs> what makes her a really Israeli horse? She combines different um, breeds in her. And this is kind of like the Israeli uh, person, you know? Like, no one here is like uh, 100% uh, American or 100% uh, Moroccan or something like that. Like. <laughs> and she with me like uh, 12 years. And we have very special uh, connection. Shadow's ears perked up when we were talking about her. So Danielle went over, gave her a big hug and a giant treat. What was she eating? A carrot. <laughs> After training treat. Hello, hello, hello. Okay. Hey, Daniel, it's Mishi. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, good. Daniel, so I'm calling to ask uh, what, what happened? What were the results? Uh, the results was uh, this time we don't win. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What? I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, it's okay. In the sport, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't win. <laughs> Lose. <laughs> And how are you feeling? Are you uh, are you disappointed? Uh, I'm not uh, disappointed. I think we need uh, to work harder and uh, don't uh, feel that we can do everything and be in the top all the time. Uh, but we have uh, our uh, way. And uh, hopefully next year it will be our year. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yalla. Toda, toda, Daniel. Toda. Yalla, bye. Laila tov. Bye, Laila tov. This piece comes to you from Israel Story. Hear more at israelstory.org. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Tina Rennick for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Glow in the Dark by Kevin Bartlett. This show is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this show again, sign up for our podcast or visit the 51% archives on our website at wamc.org. This week's show is number 1642.